Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I dreamed a dream of days to come where sponsorship is high and money is forthcoming. That's beautiful, Kevin. I really added a voice onto that one, too. (laughs) I really was trying to go for something there. Listeners, we love creating this podcast, but it does cost money. Please don't make me sell my Angel record. Oh, my gosh. The original cast recording of Angel. That, like, nobody has. Nobody has it. If you like what we are doing and want us to keep doing more of it, please head over to patreon.com. What? P-A-T. R-E-O-N dot com. Pat Rion. Pat Rion. Yeah, Pat Pat Rion. Rion. Pat Rion. Yeah, once you're there, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends. And of course, we don't expect to give without receiving some great rewards. Such rewards include behind-the-scenes videos, shout-outs on future episodes, Mm. or episodes, depending on what part of the country you're from, (laughs) because I said episodes, and early access to some of our podcasts. Hell, for the right price, Kevin and I will come to your apartment and act out all of Agnes of God. (laughs) So head over, friends, to P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com to help us out. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Broadway Curtain. And, and on Instagram, we are Broadway, Broadway Curtain Podcast. We're, we're not as hip as the young kids, so we're very excited that we actually could remember some of those social media <laughs> handles right now. Uh, I am. We are both very excited because today we have with us a returning guest. Returning now, which was going to be for his fourth interview. <laughs> and... It really is. It's Richard. And, what and, a no, no, and this actually came at Richard's request. We, we told Richard we'd love to have him back anytime. And Richard took us up on it, which I love. Yeah. We are so honored to have with us once again the amazing Richard Maltby Jr. Well, hello, both of you. Welcome hello back. again, Richard. Uh, the last interviews that we had with you were just really fantastic and eye-opening and it was such a great look into the artistic process both as a director and as a lyricist and we're going to continue that discussion today and focusing specifically on a musical that is returning to broadway that's right in its first major revival which we're all very excited about and that show is miss saigon indeed it is it playing i think it was my first broadway musical that i ever saw was it really Really? yeah really yeah we didn't talk about that last time but i (laughs) i was like 14 or 15 and my my grandparents my grandparents lived here and they uh they were very supportive of the arts they loved the arts and they uh they knew that i had an interest and so they immediately bought one ticket for me to see it in the orchestra and i saw it and i was completely rocked by it uh, completely blown away i I hear these stories i mean uh, you know People for whom Miss Saigon was their first musical. People for whom Big was their first musical. Yeah. People for whom Ain't Misbehaving was their first musical. Mm. I seem to be entirely made up of people <laughs> who who got who lost their virginity. Wait, that's right. One of our, <laughs> one of our musicals. Thanks, Richard. <laughs> well, I hope you did. I yes, hope it was. Successful. It was. It Listen, was. Still doing here. it. Yeah. It did it. It obviously did what it's supposed to do. That is uh, right. The, the first musical. Really does change your life. You look at you. You look and see what a what a Broadway show is, and if you are responsive in any way yeah. to that, um, you you know you never go back. I mean, it, it, uh, if you go if you look at it and go, oh, yeah, I might rather see a movie. Yeah, um, where that's not our. You're Bye. not, you're not yeah. our person. Exactly. You know? Do you remember what your first musical was that made you feel that way? Uh, the first musical I ever saw was Carousel. I was about. Eight or nine. Wow! And um, 
all I wanted was for the carousel to come back. So I kept saying to my mother, um, when's the carousel come back? When's the carousel? She, she kept saying, shh, next scene. Next. <laughs> well, the next, first of all, the next scene after the carousel scene is the 25-minute, yeah. <laughs> the longest scene in musical, you know. Right, and the bench scene. set never changed, and then finally the scene ended, and the scenery changed, and the carousel didn't wasn't there. And as you know, the carousel never does come back. So that was my memory. Of <laughs> Did you have that way with the helicopter? Were you like, is the helicopter? When's the helicopter come back? When's the helicopter doesn't come back until doesn't enter until the middle of the second act. Yeah. I know it gives it. But gives the carousel is right there yeah. at the beginning. Oh yeah. <laughs> so now tell us, how did the the idea of Miss Saigon first come about, and what year was that? We're going to go back. Oh well, um, it was probably 1986, 85. Oh, uh, the, the um, Claude Michel and Alain Boublil had finished. Um, Les Mis, it was in the process of moving from the uh, Barbican Center, I guess, to the West End. It was it was it it, it was sort of up and running, and uh, enough for them to start thinking about what their next show would be. Uh-huh. And um, and and I guess that process took them quite quite a long time. It. Um, I guess in the in the back of their mind was using an opera plot of some sort, and I guess maybe a La Boheme was in there somewhere. I'm sure not La Boheme, uh, Madame Butterfly, Butterfly was in yeah, there yeah, somewhere. Yeah. And um, and uh, Claude Michel saw a photograph in a newspaper. This is a well-known story. Yes, yes um, it is. And it it showed a Vietnamese woman giving her. Uh, child that she had by an American soldier, two soldiers to take the child to America so that he would have a better life than mm-hmm. she would give. And the look on her face was heartbreaking. And Claude Michel said, that has to be the most incredible emotional experience that anybody could go mm-hmm. through. That should be the centerpiece of the show. That led them back to Madame Butterfly, which is, you know, a an American uh, uh, Navy, Navy man right. who meets a geisha in Japan, um, and and she has a baby, um, and they started on on that, um, thinking taking all of the material from from uh, the reality of Vietnam. I mean, they thought of moving it to Vietnam, which made perfect sense because yeah, timely. We're mm-hmm. we're now you know just about ten years after. Yeah. The fall of Saigon, um, and they followed. They followed through on that, and and uh, they have a policy, or that they that they do um, a first draft for themselves, and they don't show it to anybody. Mm. So they they did the whole first act, uh, which they they laid out. And they had a structure for the second act, but they had laid, they did the first act and then showed it to Cameron. Um, and I guess this was um, Les Mis was running in London, but had not moved to the United States. It was gotcha. it, it's in that period. Yeah. And um, uh, Cameron really, really loved it, um, but he was convinced that this show needed an American writer, not not a British writer. It right. Needed, it needed a. Uh, uh, needed someone who could bring an American sensibility to it because not only was the 
the the hero American, but the American presence in Vietnam sure. was sure. Uh, and and he wasn't sure that 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 um, Europeans would be able to capture it. He was exactly right. And they wrote they write their first draft in French, right? They write I the mean, French. They, they, they write the first draft in French. So so I'm, I I um, I uh, I had just done. Uh, uh, song and song dance, dance yeah. and, and uh, uh, for uh, for Cameron and, and uh, um, so he set up a meeting and 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 uh, I, I met them and then received a draft which was a a, a literal translation of the French. Oh, like translate like oh, <laughs> just, but just yeah. a literal translation yeah. of the French and a tape of. Claude Michel singing the entire first act and playing the, the score. So here's Claude Michel's voice alone singing all everything um, in French. So I'm hearing. I I didn't have I didn't know what it was. Every now and then the recitatives would be fin- would be interrupted by a really pretty melody, but yeah. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. I followed. It. And um, I hadn't seen Les Mis, so I, I just didn't know what they were doing. So I said, thank you, Cameron. I, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> really? I mean, that was... That was it. And also, it was now mid eighty in the mid-'80s. And um, in, uh, in the 10 years since the end of the Vietnam War, no one, no work, movie, television show, uh, novel... Nothing was successful. There was, there were, America simply did not want to look at the Vietnam War. Yeah, just let it be. Yeah, and so in, uh, it, that was certainly another reason to not get excited about doing a show set in Vietnam. So time went by, and two two things happened. One is I saw Les Mis in Washington, and sort of went oh. I get it. Mm. I get what that stuff is. I get what recitative is because, of course, musicals don't have recitative. No, not yeah. the way opera does. Even even the the sung through Andrew Lloyd Webber shows, all the plot is is subsumed in the songs. Correct. Mm-hmm. They don't have recitatives. They don't have any of the the middle sort of talky sections, and um, so I, I I suddenly got what they were doing. And then uh, Platoon opened and won the Academy Award. So suddenly it seemed like we could look at, yeah. America could look at, at, at the Vietnam War again. And so I called Cameron and said, uh, you know, remember that show? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, have you, um, uh, you know, picked anybody else? And he said, no, we were waiting for you, Richard. <laughs> I don't think it was true at all, but it, <laughs> I think he just was waiting for the right the second act but um um that's great but uh, i was uh, you know suitably flattered and and uh, asked to to uh, you know be considered again and then uh, by that time they had just finished the second act mm. another another tape from Claude Michel but <laughs> yes, now at least i had a sense of what it right. was about was and context. um um and i met them and uh <laughs> they they they're, they're really endearing. They did not want to know about my artistic um, interests at all. They want to know about my sex life. That was all. <laughs> well, they, they were French. They want to know who classic. I was living with, who I was living with, and but <laughs> and how good it was. <laughs> <laughs> 
You see, that's that's a great way to start off a production it's meeting. Like a I fun think. party, yeah. It's a fun, I no, want to work I mean, on that. It was they're they're um, really delightful people. I mean, right. they're 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 uh, very serious. I mean, very um, they, they take themselves very seriously. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, and and you know they were writing on one of the most gigantic hits of all time. They must have been really on a high after yeah, Les Mis. Oh, so, indeed, uh, yeah. You know, so uh, they were a little full of themselves. But I must say, the moment that we went to into work, all that went away. It was yeah. just about the work. They were the most um, professional, dedicated. I mean, just was just about writing, writing the show. Writing a good show. I wanted to ask you a question, uh, which was, would you consider yourself to be a political person? Did your opinions of the Vietnam War in any way shape or filter what you were then putting down on the page? I, I'm not a particularly a political person. I've sort of become one in the last five years out of I th- terror. I th- yeah. I think everybody has everybody has done that. But, but uh, no, I didn't read the newspapers terribly much, and I... Um, I thought the world was going to take care of itself, and as as it always seemed to do. And um, but it was true. Uh, Cameron's instinct to have an American was exactly right, because um, it, it became clear that the that the the Europeans on the show and Alain is is French, Italian. Algerian, um, yeah. and and Claude Michel is from uh, Vienna, um, and Cameron, of course, is, is British. But they they really didn't understand the devastation of the failure of 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 the Vietnam War. It was far more than that. We lost the war. It was it it actually destroyed our American mythology. Yeah. Mm. We are the good guys. John Wayne come out, comes over the hill and saves the day, and we win. That, yeah. That's that's America's fantasy, and we do good things for other people. Yeah. Well, we were the bad guys. Um, John Wayne didn't come over the hill, and we lost. Right. And 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 with it came all these, you know, stories of atrocities and and and, and um, the the. The fantasy that we had of ourselves was um, was destroyed. That I I knew they didn't know that. I mean, they're, the French, the English, we've been losing colonies for a hundred years. Get over it, you know. It's like so yeah. what? Yeah, you know. Um, I don't think that they understood, um, you know, that other quite ephemeral uh, uh, quality, which. Uh, which I was able to sort of articulate, and which they then incorporated into the, into the show. I mean, the show is not a political show, it, you know. But there is certainly the element of uh, America's misguided. I mean, America is Chris is America, sign of a dodo, yeah. but is. Good-hearted, right. wants to do the right thing. Yeah, well-intentioned. Uh, you know, yeah. Totally well-intentioned. We are as a. That's what we are. Mm. We are good-hearted. We want to take care of things. We want to make things right for people. We want to 
give them our philosophy and our democracy and everything, and then we go in with our big club feet and and, and do it, it all and, yeah, <laughs> and do it all wrong. But the but the yeah. impulse, you know, it, uh, that that sort of Central American impulse was yeah. was there, and um, uh, and of course it it led eventually to the. The addition of the show, which is the breakdown, Chris's breakdown in the mm. second act, where he's, you know, uh, so I wanted to help her protect her Christ. I'm an American. How can I fail to do good? Yeah. Which I think would never have been in the show if, if we hadn't started talking that way. Yeah. Um, wow. And uh, and it's the it's the only political line in, yeah. in the show. Um, but it carries such weight. Wow. And it doesn't club you over the head with yeah, it. It's and, not and a political it's statement. Thinly veiled, but yet very there. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm thinking if there were musicals after, or they were reacting to the Vietnam War, they were usually very angry musicals. Very, they were protest musicals. Uh, uh, yeah. I feel, and so this one has a nice big beating heart, and I think you get more, you know, flies with honey than you do vinegar. When you, if now, please forgive me if I'm incorrect on this. The Puccini opera is based on a Belasco play. Is that correct? Yes, it's, yes. it's so not. It's, so it well. <laughs> It's based on a French novel ah. called Madame Chrysanthemum, which then became a, a Belasco play called Madame Butterfly, which became Puccini's opera Madame Butterfly. Oh. Um, and I think, you know, Butterfly has fewer syllables than Chrysanthemum, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, so it has it has quite a a, a, um, a tradition, and we went back to the. Pierre Loti novel. Um, we actually never looked at the Belasco play. Oh. oh, interesting. We did look at the. Uh, we, of course, you know, dealt with the with the uh, um, with the opera. But the, and the opera has one gigantic sort of flaw in it, uh, dramatically, and that is that Pinkerton is a shit. He's and yeah, he's, completely. He's, 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 he, he doesn't yeah. care about her, um, and uh, and doesn't really care about the baby, and doesn't you know yeah. and. And his wife is kind of along for the ride. So we have a tragic woman who fell in love and has a baby with and it's and, and with somebody who doesn't deserve her. And pretty much that was still present in the draft that 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 I got. It was um, Chris was uh, Chris, who at that time was called Trevor. They, they, Trevor. Club How show are you doing there, Trevor? Well, they, 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 they named everybody people from, from like Miz. I mean, they were going to change the names. Okay. But, oh, but, how, oh, they were oh, like placeholders. Trevor Nunn. So, so it was oh, Trevor Nunn. I mean, the idea that this, this sort of redneck guy from the South would be named Trevor was hysterical. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the, uh, um, um, uh, what was the point I was making? Uh, uh, the, the source material. Uh, the, oh, yeah. Uh, so, and in and, and, and that draft, Chris basically did the same thing uh, that that he does in the opera, which we talked a lot about. I mean, that was that was a real shortcoming. Yeah. And then, out of the discussions came the realization that was really terrific because the moment that the war ended, Vietnam totally closed down. The West. Mm-hmm. There were no visitors. There were no, there was no diplomatic connection. There was so. If the two lovers were separated, there'd be no way for him to get. I mean, Pinkerton could go back any time sure. and go and get her and bring her out if he right. wanted, if he was in love with her. But um, 
because of that, they could actually fall in love. They could actually be in love and separated totally. And he, he could even try for years, several years, to try to get word to her, try to get through, and finally give up because, of course, the chance of seeing her again was yeah. nil. Mm. And um, that allowed us to have a real love story instead of a, of, of, um, a story of, of a woman who fell right. in love with somebody who, who didn't deserve her. Um, and uh, so once that happened, then we had... And the falling in love in the last days of the war, just before the the uh, uh, the fall of Saigon, and and all of that suddenly started to m- make enormous sense. Uh, suddenly, the um, we were talking about. It, I mean, we're, always remember that photograph. Everything came from that photograph. This woman, this mother, giving her child to. American to, to American soldiers to take to the American soldier who is the child's father, so that he will have a better life than he would have in Vietnam. That's that was the, you know, that would only really work if the if the if the man were deserved him, mm. <laughs> if the if the man loved her. Um, and then what's really great is that of course then he's he's already married someone else. She doesn't know what to do with it. What's great about the story is it's a tragedy with no villains. Um, nobody, it's just, it's just the life yeah. led to this until the point where the woman, where Kim, our, our uh, heroine, um, um, kills herself so that she forces the child right. into this new life. Um, and... Uh, was that always the option? I mean, did you know that that was how it was going to end the whole time? That we would that we would have that sacrifice? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, she could have simply given the child away, but it's just not not quite as dramatic. Yeah. And, and, sure. and also, then she'd always be there as a, as an option. Um, and uh, she was smart enough to see the whole picture and realize that the only way to make this happen so that the child would have the life she wanted the child to have was to eliminate herself from the picture. And um, That's epic. It is. Uh, I'm curious about the, the writing, you know, the collaboration process with when you guys were all in the room together. A couple of things. Was, was Cameron there a lot? Did he have a lot of input? And then were you literally translating the lyrics to English? So... You wrote all of the English lyrics. No, um, it wasn't. It wasn't a translation. Um, and Cameron, Cameron was not around. It was just uh, uh, the three of us, and really, it was just Alan and me. And, gotcha. and what <laughs> what Alan did, it was his pattern was he would go to a hotel, someplace. He loved this particular hotel in Brittany. We went there a couple. We'd go there for like two weeks. So we would go to a hotel. Oh God, it's not so terrible. I mean, the South <laughs> Probably of France, a nice hotel, Brittany, yeah. and out in the countryside, and, oh, yeah. in, in England. I mean, there were it was not uh, painful. Um, <laughs> and uh, we would go there for two weeks, and at the end of two weeks, we would have half the first act, the other half of the first act, or the second act, and and uh, we would we would um, do that. I'd, I'd type it up, and then and then it would. Uh, and we'd send it off, and then 
and then sort of forget it for a while while everybody digested it uh-huh. until we got together and then did the next thing. So we would do it for in two-week clumps. And what we did was uh, Atlanta and Club Michelle had laid out the story, the plot, and the, the structure of the show in terms of, of scenes. And that was brilliant, the, including moving the fall of Saigon to the middle of the second act, which was yeah. daring. I mean, you get halfway through the... You get just get the story going, then skip three years, and then pick up the story, the missing part of the story in the second act. That was uh, that was stunning, and that that they had done. But within that, um, the the um, the dramaturgy of the scenes was uh, uh, pretty uh, pretty rudimentary. So what what we did with with the music pre-existing, the music being laid out, um, um, Ellen and I wrote a play, basically, to that music. And, and while we used the ideas that were there in French often, but it, often we didn't, often uh-huh. we broke it up into... Uh, um, uh, well, explored a little more, more deeply what was going on in the scenes so that there was more uh, more character work and more background we knew so much more about the characters so we had to tell an enormous amount of backstory we had to know where he, where chris came from all in music there. too like th- th- yeah. there's this is all listeners pre- know this but it's sung through there's no it, dialogue there's no dialogue and it and it is um it's um um not only was it sung through, but it was pre-existing. Yeah, I mean, right. even even, yeah. even the recitatives and the, the 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 modulations when something you know the, when when a, an emotional moment happens, it happens in the music that that pre-existed. There is a real argument to be made f- for uh, Claude Michel being the central dramatist yeah. of the show because the that score existed almost intact. In terms of of uh, how we moved from this moment to the next moment, how the transitions went, how the what the scene was, how yeah. much, uh, if it was a dialogue scene, it, you, you you know it was this kind of rhythm and that kind of rhythm and this kind of rhythm, uh, th- those things all all preexisted, uh, but they didn't have a whole lot of complexity to them, and they didn't have a great deal of of, uh, of character, and they didn't have specifics of character mm. they, they had laid it out without going into a lot of detail and so we constructed the backstory of Kim and how her family you know had been um, d- destroyed in a in a napalm attack on the village that she was in and why was she there and what what hope did she have and um, where was Chris from what background did he come from what what uh, why was he in, in Vietnam? What job did he have? Um, uh, was he, you know, he wasn't a combat soldier. He was one of those people that, you know, we made him a driver for the embassy. Right. Um, so, and those guys were, uh, I mean, the Second World War was, was notable for, for uh, having... Uh, the most intelligent uh, soldiers that ever were in any war because it was college graduates and high school graduates yeah. and, and PhDs and, you know, do, I mean, if 
if uh, if uh, a leader of a group got killed, the, there were ten other people who could who could take over who were smart enough. Um, the Vietnam War was not. It was a it was a um, um, uh, almost entirely a uh, uh, a drafted war. Uh, college kids sort of got out of it. Um, there were lots and lots of, of sort of rednecks and young guys who were not terribly educated, hadn't finished high school or, or had just barely finished high school. Um, and um, a lot of people from the South, a lot of people from, 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 uh, from areas that were not you know, terribly sophisticated and, uh, and also that had um, all sorts of racial overtones and the funny thing, and I mean, that's why it's really great that we decided to make John uh, an African-American because um, the war was the, was the kind of place where a redneck from the South would become best friends mm. with a man he wouldn't even speak to in right. the United States. Um, yeah. And, and that was part of the sort of the anomaly of the of the war. So the more we went into the specifics, the richer the characters got, the richer the scenes got, um, and uh, and then we we addressed um, you know the storytelling. We had to yeah. sort of tell about you know what what happened in the in the um, what was going on in in in, in Saigon that sense. Excuse me of the um, impending doom. I mean, the city was surrounded, and and it was and the and the the, the surround was getting closer and closer, and people were um, uh, getting nervous. But that John Wayne image was absolutely there. Something was going to come along and save the day because something always does. Everyone believed somewhere in there that something was going to happen and they were going to pull it off. We can't lose. Yeah, we can't no. lose. We can't lose. We don't lose. We can't lose. Oh my God! I think we're. This is it. Uh, we got to get out of here. Oh Sounds my like God. the election. <laughs> Even getting Sorry. on the on the on the on the uh, helicopters to to evacuate out to the ships was um, terrifying, and we you know had the the last. Uh, um, <clears throat> we so we're about the the last. Um, helicopter out and and uh, which is why the helicopter is no stunt yes. thank you very much no yeah. no no it's an actual necessity it's about the last helicopter what a coup in theater too i mean to, oh. to do that at the at that time period oh the reality of <laughs> it is slightly <clears throat> slightly better and i was really kind of hoping we'd be a way find a way of doing it they actually um uh the last group were in the the compound the plane that uh the helicopter landed on a helipad that was above the building. Um, they went, uh, they went into the building. The last soldiers and barricaded the doors. The crowd broke down the gates, came into the yard, and started to um, uh, go go break through the barriers and follow them up. The last a group of soldiers on the roof um, were getting in. The people were they, there was a a a, a, a um, a trap door that had glass yeah. on it, and and the Vietnamese came through and bashed through it with their hands, and the soldiers took their hands, you know, and and, and went around and r- ripped it against the the broken glass so that they would go back. 
they they wow. got in the helicopter. The crowd was now filled. The embassy was now filled with people, and uh, they threw tear gas down into the yard. The last soldier got in the, into the helicopter. The helicopter took off, and the rotors of the helicopter sucked the tear gas up into the helicopter. So the last helicopter leaving the Vietnam flew out blind. It's just, it's the most. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, we couldn't do that on the no. stage. Wow! But it's it it was. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think the helicopter is a, a a stunt. I think it's it's such a moving part of the entire story. Oh, I don't think yeah. you can do no, it. No, I mean we were, yeah. we were we were we um, were you know sort of lumped together with the Phantoms, uh, uh, Phantom of the Opera's um, chandelier. You know, like yeah. some big stage thing. But this is so dramaturgically important mm-hmm. to have it integrated into everything. Yeah. Well, can you describe a day in one of those hotel rooms with Alain? What 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 would what would a normal day be like in that collaborative process? Well, we would we would we would take whatever the scene was. We would uh, uh, look at the translation of of it that Alain had done. We would see what what was useful, what was not useful, what was what. Then we would discuss what the scene was really about. Then we would try to figure out if 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 this is the really what's going on with these characters. Then where does that happen in the music? You know, um, um, where uh, where do um, uh, well, like the very the very opening scene backstage at the yeah. at the club. Um, uh, when does the when does Kim, what what where is she? Is she Make been brought in? Is she not? Yeah. You know, and interestingly enough, uh, in the original, the the uh, the engineer came in and um, uh, and in the and and after he said some things to the other girls, he said, "And who's that? Why why are you wearing that dress? Oh, this is my new." Princess, he says. Right. Um, and uh, when, and that was how the show, that was the way the show opened in, in London when we opened it. There was an interesting thing that happened. I've, this is kind of, I, I always think of this as a sort of a significant moment for me, but um, about three months after the show opened, uh, the show was very heavily orchestrated, and 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 the cast members were over singing, mm. so they were dropping like flies. They were like getting laryngitis. They were there were so many people out of the show, and there was some kind of epidemic going on in London that they they almost couldn't keep up with, uh, with with that. And so Cameron made the dangerous decision. I mean, he to 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 simplify the orchestrations. I mean, he, whatever it cost, he went in and, and, and simplified, thinned out the orchestration so that they were more supportive and, and could let the singers... Did he sing. hire a different orchestrator or use no, the same Brown one? Used William Brock, yeah. yeah. Um, wow. It's expensive, too. <laughs> it is. But I also thought there's something strange. And uh, there, is a, there is a sound of an engaged audience. And it didn't happen until Kim and Chris were up in the room. But up until that moment, there was a. You just sort of sensed that something was missing. It didn't have that. You, you, yeah. you can sense an audience, a collective intensity, and it didn't. It didn't happen at the beginning, and um, 
I thought a lot about it, and I thought, they don't know who matters and who doesn't. At the, at the opening, I had given a lot of, of uh, in order for there to be color, there were, there were uh, lots of lines for different soldiers. Yeah. And then Chris and Kim, uh, Chris and John were, were talking um, to, um, uh, to the engineer. Um, in the very opening scene, all the other girls were, were talking, and, and then we saw, saw Kim. And we didn't know who to watch. Mm. It, suddenly, it, it suddenly occurred to me that all information from the stage to the audience is neutral. A minor character, a major character, yeah. the scenery, the, you know, the props, everything comes with, with absolute uh, equal, equal intensity unless you give them. Right. That's why I said the director why, in you. That's why. That's why God made follow spots because <laughs> because because the person who comes in in a follow spot is the person look you're supposed here. to look at. Yeah. I mean, that's actually what happens. Wow. Actually, so we went looked back at that, took out a lot of the lines that went for secondary characters. Started with her on the street. The first first image is the girl. The engineer sees her and takes her into the club. Walks into the into the club and says, "I found this girl. Get her dressed. You know, give her a dress because she's going on. She's a, probably a virgin. Of, you know, she'll be worth more money." So we know instantaneously that's the girl who matters. And when we get to the club, um, <laughs> changed to something that I thought was so bald that it was absolutely um, embarrassing. I thought. But the very first line is the engineer says, "Oh, Mr. Chris, Mr. John, you've come to win Miss Saigon," and, <laughs> and they say, "Oh, engineer, you're." Yeah, it's like they announce who they are <laughs> and why they're there, right? And and they're the only people who have solo lines. But up until that, it's it's group singing, right. and. Um, As soon as we when we put put it into the show, including the the restaging of the opening with her her in there, um, and that sound of disengagement went away. Let this be a lesson to everybody in the world. I mean, it absolutely. The audience will <laughs> just needs to know who to watch, right? And uh, and 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 what uh, and what's what the, what the stakes are. Um, and as soon as as soon as we as soon as we did that, this is the story of a girl. There she is, who comes to this club, and she's going to be one of the one of those girls. And in and she meets these soldiers; <laughs> those are the ones. And the and what they then say, we pay attention to, which is um, he's John has said, "I'm going to get you laid," because it's a last souvenir right. before we're out of the here. The end is so near, and. Um, and uh, uh, and Chris says, I don't know, you know, this used to be a lot of fun, and it just isn't anymore. It's you know, it's all going sour. It's all going south. I don't feel like it. Don't you? Don't you know that this that 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 it's it, this whole adventure in 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 Vietnam is turning bad, and we're gonna, you know. He's like the only one who, who sort of sees yeah. it. Yeah. And um, 
So suddenly we get all of the context of the story right in the action of the, of the opening scene. And at that moment, the audience was with it right from the beginning. It's amazing. Did you have any desire at some point to ever direct the piece? No. Um, uh, and I don't think that Cameron would have considered me. But but uh, no, I don't think so because the the immensity of the of the of the task was uh, was all I could do to keep the. Um, all of the elements in the story alive and clear. I mean, we have to tell what happened to the engineer in, in his re-education re camps. Yeah. We have to say that in, in very few words, you know, and preferably yeah. with a little joke, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, which we actually did, yeah. you know. Um, wherever I go, I speak Uncle Ho. I, I, I speak Uncle Ho and think Uncle Sam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that It's a joke, but it tells you... It, Tells you that he was being, you know, reeducated, exactly. and it, and they and pretended that it had worked, but it, but it, it didn't. Um. So uh, that was that was as much as 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 I could do, and uh, and Cameron again quite brilliantly chose Nick Heitner, who had never done a big show, uh, but who was the absolute up-and-coming young director. Oh, he was brilliant. He was just uh, stunning, everything that, that happened. For example, we wrote... Claude Michel had written out the whole Fall of Saigon as a piece of music, the the big return to uh, Sun and Moon, the, 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 the melodies that went through, the big climax with a, where... where, where uh, the helicopter leaves. All of that had been written, along with that melody. Went da 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 bum ba da da ba da 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 bum bum bum, which then had to be set. Yeah. Um, and so we, Alan and I, laid out how the story would go, and um, um, and and we wrote all these. I mean, there are like seven or eight scenes in that sequence uh, in different locations, and. I was uh, I was uh, working with Alain, and, and I and he said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm trying to figure out. Okay, they're they're in the room here. How do they get over to there? And and how do they get up to the bedroom? And uh, where do they get the thing from?" And he said, "You don't have to do that. That's a that's a director's problem." <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, you French, <laughs> what do you know of the theater? You know, you, right. you novice, you." Uh, <laughs> And that, and then about half an hour later, I thought, he's right. It's a director's <laughs> right. problem. I'm not going to write about it. So I was sitting there typing. They go into the building. They go up to the second floor. They barricade the doors. What did I care? It's a director's <laughs> problem. <laughs> Helicopter comes yeah. in. They get up there. And um, so we just, you know, I said, I don't know how anybody's going to do this. And then they, he, he went off with uh, Bob Avian for a weekend and laid out the whole thing with those gates that 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 it was two walls, um, and 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 a pair of gates that yeah. were either closed or open, uh, half or open and closed. And when they were closed, the crowd was either on the outside uh, with the soldiers on the inside, or the soldiers were on the inside and the crowd was on the outside. Yeah. And it was just brilliantly laid out totally. with these simple. Uh, 
just the devices of the gate that that uh, that change the location in it in an instant. Um, um, so, uh, but that was all all done. Uh, uh, you know, as I said, to the music that was already already laid out. And w- when you guys were in the hotel room, I mean, how did you listen to the music? I, do you have like a you, know, you would have I like a recording a CD and, yeah. or a, or, a, or a, a tape or something? Had, no, I think it was a tape. Yeah, it was a tape. tape. Okay, and, we were just uh, like we would just run through it, yeah. and run through it, and run through it, huh. and play it over and over again. So, Richard, it's now coming back. I know. Broadway, March of 2017. It's yeah. getting really close. I know. <laughs> I just walked by the theater and there all the sound equipment's going in. Yes, and it's the yeah, same theater too that it was at it's before. It's the same theater. It's it's. You know, as far as I'm concerned, that's our theater. Every yeah. Time. Yes. I mean, what's Cinderella doing in that theater? <laughs> How dare it be there? How right? dare she? You know, Get out of there. Mrs. Promises go away. The color purple. Uh, Get out of there. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> the Miss Saigon Theater. It's the Miss Saigon Theater. Oh, yeah. So we're back there, yeah. Why, why is it coming back? What, what was the reason to bring back this story? Well, um, you know, Cameron has been bringing back all of his shows, and, and he it he's made... Uh, this is the Cameron Macintosh production. The the production, the Broadway production, and the London production were huge, and that was what toured. Um, and uh, the, they were uh, really um, expensive to 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 move. Uh, um, there have been tours. There was a tour that went around the, the country that was much much simpler, bus and truck that went around. Mm-hmm. The, Lasted eventually for four years. Uh, that um, um, was was much simpler. Everybody's sort of amazed that this huge, huge show um, plays when it gets smaller. But the fact of the matter is, on paper, it's two scenes and three scenes. Yeah. It really it's a is very, very intimate story. It is with, interrupted by these sort of large set pieces, right. like the Morning of the Dragon and the Fall of Saigon and. And some of the other other things, but but it on paper it's 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 a it's a play. Yeah, the love story is and so everybody intimate. every time it's done. I saw it done in 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 Denmark in a very small theater, and everyone was amazed at how well it played. Well, it it plays because the play plays. Yeah, um, you don't really need all of the the, the spectacle to make it happen. It was given this spectacular production, but. Um, so this is a is a a, a a new version, scaled down a little. Um, I mean, you could sit in the theater; you won't think that it's scaled down, but it is. It's a it's simpler physical production, and uh, and I have to say, um, <laughs> found this young girl who was from like from America. Yeah, she's American, uh, and she was like seventeen or eighteen. She won a, a high school. Performing context, you know that there's some yeah, like the Fred Awards. What is it oh, called? The, is it the Fred Astaire Award? Yeah, it's something like yes. that. It's it and, and wow. it's for 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 high school kids. She didn't win. She came in second. But my daughter was there, and and saw it and said that girl, her, she is going to wow. be. She she will be Kim. And of course she did. I mean she's an amazing uh, performer. Huh. Uh, the the cast in London was just uh, terrific. The direction of it, 
uh, is is um, absolutely breathtaking in is, terms of the emotional intensity of it. It's not Nick Heitner. It's it's not Nick yeah. Heitner. It's it's a, a, a different uh, director, Lawrence Conner, who mm-hmm. did uh, Les Mis. That's and right. Did, yeah. did, uh, School of Rock. Rock. School of Rock too. I yeah. Think. yeah. Oh, and I and so wait. I you know because some of the pictures I've seen, it still reminds me of the original production. Oh yeah. So it's not a completely reinvented production. You said it's the Cameron Macintosh production. Well, Bob Avian I see is credited still as the yes, musical and, stager. And the, and the the you know the dance, the two dance sequences are somewhat similar okay. to, the, to the original. Yeah, I mean um, if it's shoof, I mean if it's <laughs> it's if it's already yeah. great, why change it? But. Yeah. Well, um, but it 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 has a definite definitely different feel than from the original, and uh, um, um, I guess I would just say it's it's um, uh, redefined for now. Mm. And ha- does that mean that any of the lyrics or uh, scenes have changed and been altered at all? <coughs> there are a few a few um, lyric changes that have been made along the way. Um, I didn't make them; I made some of them. But uh, uh, but the the uh, um, they they considered making a lot more, but then ended up not making them. But but um, uh, the. Uh, it's a, the lyric writing in the show is very tricky. Yes, I'm, the, to me the 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 thing that I'm proudest about um, is the thing that nobody notices because nobody would, um, and that is that we took basically a, a European-based score and made it sound like the natural vocabulary of Americans. Mm-hmm. Because we did it and because it was successful, nobody thinks twice about it. But if you but right. if you were confronted with just the music and you listen to it, you would think, but this isn't American music. You know, these don't sound like American soldiers. American. Um, I think they were in, in Claude Michel's mind, but they but the rhythms, you know, his natural rhythms were not uh, were not necessarily American. But we dug into the music and found American phrases and American language that had the same rhythms so that it sounds entirely like an American, um, a, you know, a cast of America. Right, vernacular. Yeah. Very true. I agree. What uh, Cameron McIntosh has, you know, <laughs> we have so many shows that we can thank him for. Um, what? Why is he such a great producer? What makes him, you know... So good because he, he he is mostly a hands-on producer, isn't he? Um, yes, and it's rare to have more, one more so, name above the title these days. More, more so now than than he was back back then. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, the uh, um, <laughs> producers are crazy people. They 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 need to be because you have to have such incredible. Uh, dedication and focus, and that dedication and focus is not what we mortals have. Uh, you know, uh, they especially in this and, business. And, and Cameron, Cameron's aberration to me is that um, if the curtain goes up on a show of his anywhere in the world, and that performance isn't brilliant that night, he dies. Um, wow! It it is so much an ex- an extension of him. Um, and you could say that's a, a suitable reason to put someone in an, in an asylum, <laughs> or or you right. could say that's a brilliant producer. Uh, uh, 
I'm going to go with the letter. I like uh, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, but he, he, he is. He, he is that. And, and uh, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's charming and he's lots of fun and he loves parties and all that stuff. Yes. But, but uh, his love of, the, of a truly dramatized musical event is so deep. He will do anything to make that happen. And I guess he's open to uh, to other ideas. He's open to to invention. He knows that you can't get anywhere by doing what was already done, mm. and so therefore he's receptive to yeah. a new idea. I mean, if Andrew says, um, "Well, I've written a bunch of, I've put music, I've said a bunch of T.S. Eliot songs about cats, and I think maybe it could go on stage." <laughs> An awful lot of people would say thank you very much. Yeah, that's Andrew, crazy. Goodbye. Yeah. And uh, and Andrew said, yeah. And I mean, uh, the camera said yes. Um, and oh, I was going to say, speaking of things that are different, you, uh, before we went on the air, you were saying that uh, Madame Suzanska, which you're working on now with David Shire, also is different. Uh, different from what you think you have done previously. Well, certainly the score is. I mean, I, it, it's, it's so incredibly varied. We have. Uh, you know, South African music and Viennese music and London in the 80s music. And, uh, we have nice. uh, uh, the, the story is about a Polish music teacher who was a, um, a uh, escaped the, the Holocaust and, and uh, um, she encounters a 16-year-old prodigy, piano prodigy from South Africa um, who, being a classical prodigy, South Africa, South Africa has no tradition of, of classical musicians. They have a huge musical tradition of jazz, mm-hmm. but not classical music. And um, so he's a kind of an exile as well. And this boy changes her life, and she changes his. And it's really about, I mean... Among other, it has reverberations that are so incredibly timely because it's all about exiles and people, national identity, and who are you if you're somewhere else right. other than yeah. the place where you were born, and who do you become? What? Who are you as an as an artist? Who are you? To, you know? Yeah. What What does it mean to 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 be an artist? And and uh, where does music come from? Mm. And music seems to be the one thing that breaks through all barriers. Right. And, uh, Common language. So it's it's very... I mean, every time you read another headline about immigrants and all that, you you, um, you know, the reverberations got even bigger on the on this on this show. Well, it, we... Oh, go, so, it's so, in so, Toronto sorry. now. It's in Toronto now. It's in Toronto in rehearsal. In I rehearsal. Mean, we, we, are, we just had our sits probe yesterday. We will be on stage until uh, we start in February 25th with an audience and then we run for four weeks until we open and then we just play a couple more weeks and then we have to vacate the theater because the opera company is coming in. And then we're <laughs> which, the, which theater are you playing in? Now? The Elgin Theater. Oh, the Elgin. Nice. I the Elgin. Gorgeous, yeah, gorgeous, nice theater. gorgeous, gorgeous theater. And, uh, and then we'll probably come back and, you know, see well, what happens after that. And you, you flew in today... Not, I, I would like to say for us, but I know that that's not true. But the fact no. that we get to have you for today no, is you, no. is really you, a, you could be truly home. a pleasure. You could be <laughs> relaxing for a moment. That's totally true. Doing a crossword puzzle. Yes, 
But we really, really, really appreciate getting to have this time with you and talking about well, Miss Saigon you. and your future musical. We can't wait to see it. Neither can I. <laughs> and I hope when uh, when it comes down here, you'll you'll join us again and talk more about that process. Sure. Well, uh, uh, you know, shows shows are 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 living things, and and they they the only thing I know is that you're always a beginner, and and every show. You think, oh, I can use the knowledge I gained on the last show in this show. And the first thing that goes out the window is the knowledge you gained on the last show. Um, you know, the only thing that you kind of gain from experience is the knowledge that if you keep at it, you will solve it. Um, but the solution is not necessarily anything that you already have in your back pocket. Yeah. Uh, it's something that you uh, um, you can very, very seldom um, um, use your old tricks you know and god knows i would love to do that all the time right uh, but every show has its own rules and uh, and this one is we broke break up uh, uh timeline and storyline i mean it jumps around in time and and um um and location um it's uh and it's very powerful. It's got Vicky Clark. Yeah. It has Montego Glover. It has Judy Kay. How bad could this be? I, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. why we have to see No, it. they're, they're absolutely breathtaking. Oh, Judy. that's wonderful. Vicky Clark gives a performance. I've, I've never seen anything like it. So We cannot wait. Yeah. We cannot wait. Maybe we'll travel up to Canada yeah, to take exactly. a look. Exactly. Uh, Richard, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you once again. Thank for you. Down Thank with you. Us. Letting us pick your brain. Yeah. Always happy to chat. <laughs> Thank you. Press the button and I talk. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.